Amen, amen. Well, how's everyone doing this morning? Come on, you guys can do better than that. It's so good to be here today. I want to open up with a powerful word this morning. As we get ready for the Word of God this beautiful morning, I'm glad to see so many faces, so many old faces. We have Ariel who came to visit us today. Ariel, give Ariel a round of applause. Ariel, he's uh, the reason I'm glad I don't do youth ministry anymore, you know, so <laughs> I love you, Ariel. First Kings chapter 8, beginning at verse 61, as we go there, the Word of God says, but the hearts must be fully committed to the Lord. This is King Solomon that wrote this, and he said, but your hearts must be fully committed to the Lord. One more time, let me say this. I want you to really grab it. Your hearts must be fully committed to the Lord, our God, to live by His decrees and obey His commands at this time. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you bless this word this morning. Help us to understand it, to live it. And Lord, we just ask that today as we experience your presence, that you would help me to speak your word now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat if I adjust here a little bit. Yeah, you mind raising me up a little bit? Just that. There you go. King Solomon said, Your heart must be fully committed to the Lord. Now, if anyone was more successful, it was King Solomon. King Solomon was the most successful man that ever lived. And if you think about it through a a worldly perspective, yes, he was successful because the Bible even records that Solomon was famous all around the world. Now imagine a time that you have no internet, no social media, no entertainment, no television, no newspaper, nothing. How did Solomon become the most famous person in the world at that time? The Bible says that Solomon had over 4,000 stables. If you had one in that culture, you were considered well off and wealthy. Imagine having 4,000. The Bible says he had over 12,000 horses. No one as successful ever lived like Solomon. And we know that Solomon was successful, we think, is because of his wisdom that God gave him. But see, Solomon, he understood something powerful. Solomon had a lot of sayings. You know, Solomon wrote Proverbs. He wrote a lot of songs. He wrote a lot of poetry. He was an author. He was just so successful. But of all the sayings that Solomon had, the wisest one was what we just read. Solomon stood in front of everyone and he simply said, your heart must be fully committed to the Lord. Let's go back to verse 61. I want to read it one more time. He said, Your hearts must be fully committed to the Lord. See, Solomon knew that his success was not because of wisdom. His success had nothing to do with his power. His success did not come because of his influence and who he knew or who he was. But Solomon knew that his success came 
because he was fully committed to God. That's it. And I believe today that if you make a choice to be fully committed to God, every area of your life will be blessed. If you make a choice to be fully committed to God, it will bless your life, your family, your children, your relationships, your marriage, your finances, every area of your life that you decide to be fully committed to God to will be blessed. And at verse 61, Solomon not only said... You have to be fully committed to the Lord. But notice he said, you have to be, your hearts must be fully committed to the Lord, our God, to obey his commands. But notice this, at this what? Time. Say that with me. At this time. One more time. At this time. What Solomon was saying is you have to be fully committed to God And the time has to be now. The time has to be now. In other words, Psalm is saying, don't delay. Don't make excuses. Don't, don't say anything but now. The time to commit to God must be now. Not later. Not when it's convenient. Not when I have time. But Solomon says, you want to know when you have to start committing to God? Now. Right now. No matter how bad things are, God says, now. No matter how busy you may think you are, God says, now. No matter how sinful you've been, you've gone away from the church, you, you haven't been in church for years, months, weeks, you've been living in sin, and God even says, right now, make the choice to be committed to me and watch what I do in your life. But sadly today, commitment is something that we don't like. See, to be committed is to be devoted to a stance, no matter what the cost, no matter what the situation. And every area of your life you decide to be committed to will take your energy, your time, your effort, but will be blessed. If you take the chance and the choice to say, I'm going to be committed to my marriage, that means that no matter what we go through as a couple, no matter how up and down things are and how bad, I'm committed to you and I hope you're committed to me. If you're committed to your family, you're saying I'm going to be committed to raising my children, spending time with them, being intimate, really being close. No matter what, I'm going to put my family first. If you make a commitment to say I'm going to be committed to my church, it means that anytime there's service, Wednesday night Bible study, Sunday morning service, when it comes to giving and tithing, when it comes to serving in the ministry, pastor, you can count on me. I'll be there. That's commitment. 
commitment. Commitment towards your goals. Saying no matter what, I will not stop until I reach what I'm dreaming for. Well, until I reach what I want. When you're committed to a cause, no matter what you go through, you're saying no matter what happens, I'm committed to working towards this. And when you're committed to God, it means that no matter what, no matter how many mistakes I made, no matter how far from God I've been, no matter how imperfect I am, I'm committed to growing more with the Lord. I'm committed to reading the Word more. I'm committed to spending more time with God. I'm committed to be the person God has created me to be. That is commitment. But sadly today, commitment is so uncommon. We live in such a selfish world that selfishness, it creeps up into our relationships. It creeps up into our families and into our churches and even our relationship with God. Sadly, it's so uncommon to even see commitment because we're committed to the things that benefit us. And if it gets too difficult, and if it gets inconvenient, I'm going to be quick to quit. I'm going to drop it. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to waver. I'm going to move on. You know, as a pastor, I, I do this thing called premarital counseling, and it drives me sick sometimes because I meet a couple that's in love. And when I sit with them, you know, when they're dating, you know, you, you really just present yourself as the best boyfriend ever, right? Yes, Ariel, the best boyfriend ever. And that girl, she will try to impress you. She will cook for you. She will dress nice for you. She will respect you. They will pass. Why do you want to get married? Well, we're in love. We're just in love. And I get that. But see, what they don't understand is that there comes a time where it's going to take more than feeling love to stay with that person you're in love with. That your marriage is going to go through some serious dark times. And if you don't make that choice to say, this is the person I'm committed to, this is why divorce is at an all-time high right now. Because we're in an age where commitment is not convenient for me. So if our marriage struggles and it's not the same like it used to be, I'm going to just sign the papers and quit and divorce. We want to just quit everything, so we're quick to just jump to another marriage thinking this time I got it right, and then you realize it takes commitment to be with that second person twice as much. We're not committed to friendships in this world where we unfollow people. I will click you away if I see something in your social media page, I don't like. I'm a Republican. You're a Democrat. Click unfriended. We're done. We're, quick. We're just so quick to quit our friendships. We're so quick 
to not even commit to churches anymore. If I don't like this church, I'm going to go to another one. And when I'm in that church, you're going to compare it to the one you left. We just move on. That's why today, marriages are ending, churches are dividing, friendships are over. Because we have lost this concept that the things I commit to, I have to stay committed to. You see, one of my, my things is, I love to ride ATVs with my brother. That's what we've done for years. And my, my ATV has a, a particular feature that can be shifted and changed to 4x4. And the reason I shift it to a 4x4 and change it is because sometimes when I'm driving in, a, in two wheels, it's on smooth roads. And it's when it's flat, and it's smooth, and it's, that ride is easy, and it's comfortable. And how many of you know that in the start of something, that's what it feels like. In the start of a friendship, when you begin a church, when you start and you just get married, it's kind of smooth at first. But see, when that terrain gets hard, it gets muddier, it gets thicker, it gets a little bit tougher to get through. I have to quickly make that shift to 4x4 four four because I tell myself, if I don't make the shift, I'm not going to get it through. But I'm determined to get through so I make the shift because I know now i got to take this thing into overdrive and I really have to stick with it. But the reality is, a lot of people today don't have the ability to shift to commitment when the road gets hard. I'll commit when things are smooth. I'll commit when everything is easy and fun and enjoyable. But when the road gets tough, I'm out. I'm not shifting. I'm not going to change. And sometimes... Marriage starts off smooth, then the kids come, and the responsibilities come, and the honeymoon is over, and the weight is gained, and the hair is lost, and you're like, overdrive, got to make the shift, but sadly couples don't. Churches go through smooth transitions. Churches go through smooth seasons. I remember times where our church was growing. It was good. It was fun. Then Ariel came and I hit it on shift. I shifted to overdrive. <laughs> it, was, it was sometimes I didn't even know how we were going to make rent. I didn't know what we were going to do. And, but you know what I said as a pastor? I'm shifting. And I'm staying. And I'm committed to this call that God gave me. It takes commitment in any area of your life you want to see God bless. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The Bible says that the church began to grow by the thousands. People were changing, lives were changing, everything was getting blessed. 
And we say, oh yeah, because of God. It was more than just God, believe it or not, that blessed this church. The Bible makes a clear point here. They, that's them, the people, they, what? Devoted themselves. It wasn't just that the Bible said they visited church when they could. The Bible didn't say they visited church on Easter and Christmas. It says that there was a group of people that started off small that says, we are committed to this. We're going to devote ourselves to this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. It wasn't that they just heard the teachings and said, oh, nice teaching, I enjoyed that. No, they devoted themselves to it. Whatever they learned, they made sure they put into practice. They devoted themselves to fellowship, meaning if there's a function going on and our church is gathering together, we're going to be devoted to being together. And today, people in church don't like each other. The last thing you want to do is go to a church dinner. Why? Oh, yeah, the people. I don't know. Eh. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted, they devoted themselves to communion. You see, the church began to be blessed and grow, and God began to really move because the hearts of the people were simply devoted to what they wanted. They loved their church. They loved God. They were devoted. And if you want to see God bless and move and really do amazing things in any area of your life, it has to be something you're willing to be devoted to. Your devotion matters. That's why I love people like Paul. Paul, a man in the Bible, in 2 Timothy 4.7, in the end of his life, he says this, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have remained faithful. Hold that verse up there. I want to show you something. That Paul, in the end of his life, he looked back and he said, I fought a good fight. He described life as a race. Why did Paul describe life as a race? Simple. Because in racing, it's not how you start, but how you what? Finish. Because I love this about Jesus. With Jesus, it's not about how you start, because the reality is, many of us, even in this church, we were off in life to a bad start. Can I get an amen? You are off to a bad start. You are off to a bad childhood. You are off to some bad mistakes and choices. You didn't have a good start, but God says, it doesn't matter how you start. I want to know how you're going to finish. How are you going to finish? And when Paul looked at the end of his life, he said something that really just moved me. Paul's success in life was not how many churches he planted, how many people he got saved through his teachings. He looked back and the one thing that determined whether he was successful or not was in one thing here. I have remained faithful. You know what Paul said? I was committed 
His success was, was I committed to it. Sadly, today, many people are going to look back near the end of their life when their race is about to wrap up, and the last thing they're going to say is, I remain faithful to God. They're going to say, I had this house, I went here for vacation, I had this many kids, I'm leaving this, this inheritance, I'm giving them a great education, I drove this car, I had these many stocks, I did this, I did that, I owned that, I wore this, I accomplished this, I have this degree, I have that degree. In the end of their life, they're going to look back and the last thing that's really going to be in their mind and the last thing I believe is not going to be said is I was faithful to God I remained faithful could you really say right now if your life would end right now if God would literally say you're at the last and final turn of this race called life would you be able to look back and tell God I've remained faithful to you Or are you going to say, no, God, I was faithful and I remained faithful, but it was to me and what I wanted and my job and my career and my marriage and my children and my pleasures and my money. Would you be able to look at God in the face and say, I have remained faithful to you? The reality is a lot of us are saying, no, pastor. I haven't been faithful. I haven't remained. That word remain means to be committed to. But Paul was honest. He said, I've remained faithful. But he says, I have fought. You know that being committed to God is a fight. Let me be honest. I'm not going to lie to you in church or ever. Let me tell you, being committed to God is easier said than done. Being committed to God is not just a prayer you pray. It's a life you live. And Paul said, it's a fight. It's a fight. He says, I've been faithful. I've been committed. But it was a fight. I had to fight my emotions when Paul went through depression and discouragement. I had to fight problems as he was thrown into prison and almost left for dead. I had to fight distractions because he said there's sin in my life that I'm trying to let go of, but I can't right now because it has a hold on me. Paul had to fight people that try to stop him. Every day of his life, it was a fight. But every day of that fight, he said, Lord, I'm devoted. I'm committed. I will remain. Paul said, it's a fight, but it's a good fight. Meaning, you're going to have to fight for this commitment, but it's going to be worth it in the end. Anything in your life you want to be committed to, you have to be willing to fight for. But today, we don't want to fight for God. We don't want to fight for our families. We don't want to fight for our children. We don't want to fight for our well-being. We just want things done easy. And my prayer is that in the end of your life, you can say, I've remained faithful, and it was a fight, and it was a struggle, but I still remained
fighting hurts. When you're fighting, you get tired. Some of you had to fight the snooze button this morning. Some of you had to fight with your children to get in the car already so you can go to church. Some of you fought with your spouse before church or you'll fight after church. And you say, well, that sermon went out the window. You'll fight. But it's a good fight. See, Paul refers to this life as a race because it's how you finish that's going to matter. And the last thing God's going to care about is your accomplishments. The first thing He's going to care about is, were you faithful to me? That's why in the end, Jesus said that God Himself will look at us and say, well done, my good and what? Faithful servant. God looks at us and He says, what I want to see in you is not good works, it's not talent, it's not accomplishments. I just want to know, are you faithful to me? Will you fight for me? Will you remain with me? So Paul said life is like this race that you have to endure. Hebrews 12.1, the writer of this verse says that life is like a race. Look at this. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, notice this word of advice. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance this what? Race marked out for us. In reference to life, the writer of this verse says, when it comes to this race, if you want to win it, there's some things you have to be willing to let go. Let me explain what this context of this verse is. In that culture, a lot of times, especially in the Roman culture, they would gather to watch people race. And you think, well, okay, that's kind of cool, that's kind of lame, whatever, but let me throw in a little twist and tell me that if this was happening today, you wouldn't be glued to the television. You know what they would do? They had this idea, let's watch people race. But one guy said, I have an idea, let's watch people race, but let's just make this one rule. Whoever wins, survives, the rest will be executed. True story, that was in the culture, in the Bible. So imagine how people would just watch this race because they knew the loser dies. Now imagine that you were picked to be in that race and you had no choice. You were a Christian, you were a slave, you were a criminal. One of the three. If you were any one of these three, they will grab you and say, we either kill you now or you race for your life. That's why Christians at that time suffered a lot. So imagine now you have been selected for this race. 
And they said, are you ready? Get set. Go. Would you say, okay, I'm just going to stroll? Oh, I'm tired. I'm sore. I think I pulled a hamstring. What would you do? You would push. You would shove. You would give it your all because in your mind you say, if I don't win this, my life is over. This is literally a life or death situation. So you know what happens is the people wanted to win so bad because they knew their life was on the line that they would literally strip naked. This is biblical history right now. They will strip naked completely. They didn't care what you thought of them because they would say, are you going to die? They would strip their clothes off. They would take their sandals off. They made sure that nothing hindered them from winning this race. They made sure that nothing would slow them down. So with this in mind, the writer of Hebrews is saying, when it comes to your relationship with God, that's the attitude you need to have. That no matter what, this is a life or death situation. I will be committed to the Lord. I will be committed to Jesus. And I don't care what I have to get rid of, what sin I have to let go, everything that hinders, I will get rid of. Because it is not worth losing this race. Because it matters so much. Going back to Hebrews 12.1, the writer says, let us throw off. We're surrounded by these witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that entangles. Did you notice something interesting? That the writer of Hebrews, like I taught last week, anytime you see the word and in the Bible, it's completely set apart. So the Bible, the writer says, in your life, this race, there's going to be sins that entangle you, that mess you up. And there's going to be things that hinder So the writer is literally teaching us that the things that are going to slow us down in this life and our commitment with God, obviously, first and foremost, is sin. And sin is anything that goes against God's word. And God says, you want to know if that's going to slow you down and mess up your commitment? If it's a sin, it will. Can we say amen? Got it. All right. And the writer then says, But there are things in this life that aren't sinful, but they can still hinder your commitment to God. You see, it's it's not a sin for me to go fishing. I love it. But how many of you are that if I become so addicted to fishing that I don't even come to Wednesday night Bible studies anymore, I barely show up on Sundays to preach, and when I do preach, I've been fishing so much, I barely even study. How many of you know that my ministry would be hindered by this fishing thing? But then I would tell you, oh, 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 it's not a sin though. What would you say? It's not a sin, but it's not wise. And it's doing more damage. And it's hindering you, Pastor. 
And that's the game we're playing with God now. It's not a sin, but God said, oh, it's not a sin, you're right, but it's going to hinder. I wonder what sin you're entangled with right now. I wonder the things in your life that aren't sinful that are hindering you right now. That are really saying, man, ever since I started doing this, my relationship with God has been hindered and it's really slowing down. I wonder what things in your life are really hindering your relationships. What's hindering your child raising? What's hindering your spiritual growth with God? The writer of Hebrews says, if it hinders or entangles, throw it off. Throw it off. See, Solomon was wise, but he was dumb. You ever met a smart, dumb person? I hope you're not talking about me, Mom. You ever met a person that's so wise they were dumb? So wise, but they made dumb decisions. That was Solomon. Solomon said to the people, your hearts must be committed to God. Solomon was successful. Solomon was devoted to God. There was a time that the Bible says Solomon would give sacrifices by the thousands. He was spending time with God every day, going above and beyond what was required because he had a passion for God. But you fast forward just a few chapters after chapter 8 to, that, to chapter 11. And notice what the Bible says, Solomon's downfall, why he did not finish the race well. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, there came a point in the early years of Solomon's life that the king, the Pharaoh of Egypt came to Solomon and said, Hey, do you want to make a deal? Do you want to make a treaty? Sure. Okay, to seal this deal, I want you to marry my daughter. She's not a believer. She doesn't serve the God you serve. And Solomon's like, Okay. And he married Pharaoh's daughter. One. One compromise. One choice. One decision was all it took for Solomon to not only be hindered, but entangled now. Because years later, the Bible says as Solomon got Pharaoh's daughter, maybe it was awesome. He's like, man, these ungodly girls are great. I'm tired of these Christian ones. I'm tired of the godly ones. And then he says, man, I wonder what the Moabites are like. What about those Moabite girls? And then he loved the Moabites. Hey, what about the Ammonites? Oh, yeah. This, and all these women were not believers. So Solomon said, well, I want to get some Moabites. And then it grew and it got entangled with some Ammonites. Then he got even more entangled with some Edomites. He kept going worse and worse and worse. And this is crazy. By the end of Solomon's life... He had over a thousand wives. You know, one's enough. One, if that. One. A thousand. Out of control. But you know what's sad about this? It says that they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them. 
because they will surely, notice God did not play games, He was clear, they will surely, certainly, without a doubt, turn your hearts after their gods. God made it clear, listen, I don't care how much you love me, I don't care how devoted you are to me, you are not stronger than that, it will turn you. Don't you think that you're going to change them? That's why so many Christians marry non-Christians because they think that they're the Holy Spirit and they're going to change their life. And so you flirt and convert. That's your game, your strategy. And then it messes you up when you're married to them and say, oh, I don't want to go to church anymore. I'm done with that. Solomon was warned by God, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. Notice, he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him where? Astray. As Solomon grew old, it wasn't overnight. Solomon didn't wake up and say, I don't love God anymore. No, as he grew old with time, because when you start sin, it doesn't destroy you the day of. It's with time. It entangles. And notice, Solomon grew old. His wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not Fully, what? Devoted to the Lord his God. The same guy that just a few chapters ago told everyone, your hearts be devoted to God. Be devoted to God. Your hearts better be committed to God. A few chapters later, he did not even practice what he was preaching. His own heart turned away from God. And I see this so many times from people. They start off strong with God. They're in the church. They're worshiping. They're serving in the ministry. They're reading the Bible. They just love it. And after years, they're not even around anymore. Their hearts have turned. And I'm thinking, man, what happened to them? It's simple. They love something more than they love God. You see, the key is in verse 1 of chapter 11. Notice what the Bible says. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. There's a key word I don't want you to miss. The Bible says King Solomon, and here it is, underlined and highlighted, how what? Ever. However. See, that word however means it's used to introduce something that's in contrast or in contradiction to. See, you cannot live a life committed to the Lord or anyone else or anything else if you're going to live a life of contradiction and contrast to Him. And I wonder how many howevers you have in your life. You say, you know, I'll go to church, however, if I got to clean that Sunday, I'm not going. I'll go to church, however, if I'm tired, God, I'm going to skip. You know, I, I'm committed, God, to tithing. However, if the bills pile up and I'm a little bit behind, I, I don't think I'm going to do it. 
You know, I'm committed to bring God first. However, if I'm busy and a lot of things are going on, I don't think I can put God first this week, maybe next week. You can say, well, you know, I want to get closer. I'm committed to getting closer to God. However, I I really work too much, and after work, I'm too tired. I just want to sit back and relax. So, however, and all of us have these howevers in our lives. So Solomon said, Lord, I love you. Lord, I'm committed to you. However, I want you to know I love women. These women. And Lord, I will serve you. I will give sacrifices. I will pray. However, if one of these women call me, I'll be there. Because I love them. And it's sad because what's getting in the way of our commitment to God is the howevers in our lives. And like Solomon, our hearts turn and we're no longer as committed. See, there's one man in the Bible I think about that he doesn't even have a name. You know why he has no name? Because he made the worst choice of his life. And it's in Luke chapter 9, verse 59. Jesus approaches this man and he says, follow me. What an opportunity, right? You know that we don't know this man's name because he decided not to follow Jesus. But if this man would have followed him, he would have had a name. He would have been the 13th disciple. He would have been in the Bible right now. God had a plan for his life. Who knows what this man was going to do? Who knows the sermons this man was going to preach? The lives he was going to change? But you know why none of that happened? Because when Jesus said, follow me, he said, the man replied, Lord, first... Let me go bury my father. He told God, and it wasn't that his father was dead. He was literally saying, Lord, I'm going to follow you, but I want to wait till my dad dies so I can get his inheritance, and then I'll follow you. He said the word first. You know what he told Jesus there? Because in the Greek, when the Bible was written in Greek, that word first literally means in order of priority and importance. You know what he told Jesus there? Jesus said, follow me, I have a plan for your life. You won't believe what I'm going to do through you. And this man, the minute he said first, he literally was telling Jesus, I will, but you should know, you're not going to be the most important in my life. I'm not going to prioritize you all the time. There's going to be things in my life that are more important. And the same word is used in the Greek that's used when Jesus said, first, seek the kingdom of God and all other things will be added on. See, what God is saying here is that God has to be not only a priority, but the most important priority in your life. And all other things will be added and blessed. But this man had a little however. I'll follow you. However, this is going to be first in my life. And no one in their right mind will ever tell the Lord, you're not that important to me. But don't you know that the way you live your life will determine to God whether He's a priority or not? And you're telling them that every day? 
You're not saying no to Jesus, but you're not saying he's the most important. He didn't tell Jesus no. He didn't tell Jesus, I don't want anything to do with you. No. He said, I will follow you, but not first. I'm not going to commit. See, your little howevers in life will destroy your commitment to God. The Bible says that Solomon loved foreign women. You know what destroys your commitment to God? Is when your love for God is not greater than your love for something or someone else. His love was the motivating factor for his compromise and disobedience. Do you know how many people as a pastor I counsel that their compromise and disobedience and destruction of their own life are motivated by the thing they call love? I love them. I love it. I love this. I can't let it go. But what about if you love it? Solomon teaches me something I want to teach you today. Just because you love something or someone doesn't mean they belong in your life. That's how people stay in toxic relationships. That's how people stay in bad habits. That's why people get hindered and entangled in things they should never have been hindered and entangled with because love is the factor. Solomon said, I love them. And God says, I know. But that love is not the reason it belongs in your life. The Bible says in verse 2 of chapter 11, he held fast to them. Solomon loved his women. The Bible says, nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them. And what's sad about that, that, that word, that phrase, held fast, literally means to continue or remain. See, you can love the wrong thing, and because you love it, you remain in it. You continue to remain in something or with someone because you think it's love. And the Bible makes clear here that God warned everyone they will turn your heart. But see, Solomon ignored the warnings and remained. And when you choose to ignore the warning or the advice of other people's warning because you love something, it will cause you to remain in things that you should not even be in. It will cause you to remain with people that don't belong in your life. And you get entangled, and then you get hindered. And Solomon himself wrote in Proverbs 23.3, Solomon himself says, A wise and prudent person sees danger, and what? Takes refuge. But the simple keep going. And suffer. You know why people end their race suffering? Because they remain doing something that God said, it's not for you. And they continued. Solomon continued. He remains and remains and remains. Until his heart was gone. Commitment was over. 
So let me close with John chapter 15, what Jesus says here. You see, when I think about your life, Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 1, I'm the true vine. My Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the world I have spoken to you. Notice what Jesus said, remain in me. You notice that Jesus used the word remain? Because that word remain means to be committed to. And Jesus says, you remain in me. If you continue in me, I will remain in you. I'll be committed to you. And no branch can bear fruit by itself. You know what God is saying here? You think you're fine on your own. You're not. You're not going to do anything by yourself, but if you're committed to me, I will bless you. I will change your life. He says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must, not might, not maybe, it must remain. It must be committed in the vine to God. Neither can you bear fruit unless you Say it with me. Remain. Continue. Commit. So Jesus says, you have a choice to make. Are you tired of doing it by yourself? It's no wonder you're not bearing fruit. It's no wonder you're not being blessed. It's no wonder that things are going harder for you. It's no wonder that you're dry right now because you have decided not to remain in me, not to be committed to me. So Jesus gave this illustration. And he says, you know, this life is like a tree. You know what I love about gardening? It starts off easy. I just plant a seed. I add the seed. I add some water. And things begin to grow. I see a change. I see a difference. And that's how people start off with Jesus. When I see people come to the altar before COVID, when I see people come to Jesus, they start adding Jesus to their life. They add church to their lives. They add Wednesday night Bible study to their lives. They add devotional time to their life. And they start growing. And they're like, wow, I'm changing, Pastor. And I'm like, just wait. Just wait. That's cute. That's cute. Your little highlighted Bible self. I love it. I love it. Pastor, I learned this today. Oh, God bless them. Lord help them. They're growing. But as you start growing, God says, okay, it's time. Oh, I don't want you to stay like this. This is nice. It's better than before. But I got to start cutting things out of your life. So that needs to go. And he says, you know, the tree, the, the little vines that don't bear fruit, he cuts. And that's obvious. If I see something that's not growing, I say, oh, I got to get rid of it. It's just not growing. 
So God says, you know, this, this sin has to go. That bad attitude has to go. This habit needs to go. This person in your life, they're going to hinder you. They need to go. This needs to change. You got to get rid of this. You got to get rid of that. This needs to stop. And he's changing your mindset. He's changing your attitude. He's changing your values. And by the time you're finished, you're like, what's left? Oh, there's more. Jesus said, you know the things that, you know, you're, you're bearing fruit, but now I have to prune. You know, in my opinion, what Jesus is saying here is, listen, God's going to first cut off sin in your life. That's obvious. This needs to go. This is not, oh, I can't believe I used to even do that. That's crazy. Oh, man, if people knew that one, oof. Oh, this is hot. Oh, but, oh, this one's a tough one. Lord, I really love this. But Pastor David said, just because I love it doesn't mean I need it. Oh, oh, wow, that worked. And then God says, yeah, there's things that I'm going to prune now. And when it comes to pruning, you're going to see some fruit, but God's going to cut it. And you know why? Because I believe what God is saying here is there's things in your life that aren't sin that need to go. But it's not a sin, yeah, but it's going to hinder. But it, that doesn't go against the Bible, yeah, but it's going to slow you down. And God says, yeah, I know you love this, but that needs to go. This is fun. How do you feel like God needs to start doing this in your life now? Man, these friends of mine I grew up with, but... They're going to bring me down. I want a, the Lord to bless my marriage. I need to get this out of my life. I want God to raise godly children and help me raise godly children. i got to start stopping this and start doing that. See, with God, it's not just about adding, adding. We want to add church. We want to add Bible study. We want to add this and add that. But God says, oh, I'm glad you're adding all that. But when are you going to start cutting? Oh, you want to add Sunday morning service for an hour? Awesome. You want to add a little Bible study? Great. You want to add a little ministry time and serve in the church? Awesome. When are you going to start cutting? And wouldn't you know that when God is done with you, you think you've lost more than you've gained. That's when you know this Christian walk is working. You're able to look back and say, I've lost more than I've gained. And then God says, now, you start seeing the fruit of your labor. You start seeing how God can bless you. How God can use you. And you can see the outcome, the end, the finishing product. But if this tree can talk, it would say, oh, you like my apples, right? You like those apples? You don't know what I, what it, oh, what it cost me. You don't know what I had to fight. You don't know what I had to cut. You don't know what God had to remove that I never wish He did. But man, it was a good fight. Because at the end of your life, I want to see the fruit that God brings out of your life. I want to see God use you in ways... But God says, I want to use you, I want to bless you, but i got to cut you. And that's why people run away from sermons like this. I'm done with this church. Because I'll commit to a degree that I don't lose. 
But I pray that you're motivated today to say, I'm like Solomon at this time, right now. You say, Pastor, every head bowed, every eye closed. You're saying, Pastor, I was off to a bad start. My race is struggling. I'm tired. I don't think I'm going to win this race. I don't care who you are. You're here right now. You're listening online. You're off to a bad start. You've been far from church. You're entangled in sin. You have habitual lifestyle of sin. Right now, you have strayed from God. You even hate God right now. It doesn't matter who you are. God says right now, I love you. I will be committed to you. I want you to be committed to me. Right now is the time. No matter who you are, what you've done, what sin you've committed, the Lord Jesus Christ loves you beyond anyone that could ever love you died on the cross for your sins so that you wouldn't have to die and go to hell. This is the Jesus that said, I have a plan for your life. And if you believe in me and surrender your life to me, you will be saved. This is the God that says, I'm tired of seeing you dry and empty. I want to fill your life with blessing and fruit. I want to use you. But will you be committed to me? Or are you going to continue to just add me to your life? but not cut for me. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, you open up every heart and heart. The people that are no longer as devoted like they used to be. You want to be devoted to God. It will bless everything else in your life that you need to be devoted to. You be devoted to God first. Watch how it blesses your marriage. Watch how it blesses your family. Watch how it blesses you. But it's up to you. So if you're here today for the first time and maybe you're saying, Lord, I want to give my life to Jesus. It's simple. Yet it will cost you. You surrender your life to Him. You just say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I know, Lord, I deserve punishment, but I also believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And you say, right now, Lord, I give you my life. If that's you, you slip your hand up. I want to pray over you right now. Let me pray for you. If you're listening online, you pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Right now, at this time, I commit myself to you. I believe you died on the cross for my sins, and today, Lord, I surrender to you. Forgive me and save me, Lord. In Jesus' name. And maybe you're here and you're saying, Pastor, I am a Christian. I do follow Jesus, but I haven't been following Him the right way. I've been entangled in sin. I have things in my life that are hindering me. I have things in my life I need to cut. Some of these things are sin. Some of them are not, but they're hindering me. But today, I want to recommit my life to the Lord. I want to stand up for Him again. I've been far from the church. I've been far from God. I've been living in the world. I've been distracted. But I miss the old-time commitment I used to have. If that's you, I want to pray over your life right now. You put that hand up and let me pray for you right now. Lord Jesus, I see your hands there all around the room today. Just pray this. Lord Jesus, forgive me for my lack of commitment lately. And today, I recommit my life to you. I want to finish strong. So Father, I return to you now and repent of my sins. Come near to me as I come near to you. In Jesus' name. Father, thank you for this message.
Thank you for this church service. Thank you for all your blessings. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Give God some praise today, this morning. I want to thank you guys for being here today. I hope you guys were blessed by that message.